0: Bibles turn to Revelation 11. Last week we did a year-end review, so we weren't in Revelation. The week before was December 29th. We were in Revelation 11, and now we're in Revelation 11, which is the very middle of the tribulation period. If you've been tracking with this, you know chronologically where we're at. If you can't remember when we started the Book of Revelation, we started Revelation back in 1932, and uh, so we're just now getting to the middle of the book, and we're cruising. I call this racing through Revelation, and man, we're uh, we're fired up. Let me just set the stage. In chapter 11 is literally the three and a half year period, Mark, of the future tribulation period where the wrath of God will be poured out on planet earth, where God will judge planet earth in the desire to shake up the nations, to wake up the heathen, to make up the church, ultimately to take up the kingdom. God has a whole intention, and God gave John a vision of the future. So what we're about to study tonight is futuristic. We kind of touched on this in December. And as we read through this, I want to put application to our lives because as much as it is fun to know the future and that God wins and what's going to happen then, I'm fighting battles right now. Anybody fighting battles right now? Anybody anybody swinging, man? Anybody getting swung on by the enemy? You need to understand some principles that we can see and discern and apply to our own lives here. I'm going to say a prayer for us before I read, though. And I would just put this out there: I love you guys. I'm so glad you're here. First and second service, man, it was packed out, place was crazy, and it was just, man. But, but I'll say the same thing to those two services I said to you. C.H. Spurgeon was asked one time, he was the prince of preachers, he taught pastors how to pastor. And he was asked one time by a student, how do you make a great preacher? And C.H. Spurgeon in his wisdom said, give that preacher a great congregation. And if you have a great congregation, that is a people group who wanna learn, who wanna listen, who wanna respond, I guarantee you that preacher will become a great preacher because the people wanna learn, they wanna grow, they wanna lean into the things of God. So I wanna ask you guys and gals tonight to do just that, to not waste your time, don't waste my time, and don't be deceived. James, Jesus' little brother, says, be careful of Bible studies. Be careful of underlining, highlighting, agreeing, memorizing, laughing at all the jokes, and then forgetting what you heard and walking away being the exact same. James says, don't be a doer or hearer only, but be a doer, lest you be deceived. So here's my prayer from the beginning of the day, because I'm going to cover 19 verses, and you know that's a lot for Luke Frechette. That's a lot of content, a lot of talking. And I'm actually praying you hear one or two things, okay? Not that you agree with, not that you memorize or even share with somebody else. Listen, one or two things that you apply to your life that are different, I'll, I'll, and, unless there's like a holy angel here, God forbid you wake up tomorrow and do the exact same thing you did this last week. Okay, unless you did perfectly. Any perfect people here? Raise your hand if you're perfect. Anybody? We had like three at the 9 a.m. service. It was crazy. Three, three perfect liars. Nobody's perfect! And yet the Lord says, I, I will accept you just as you are. Right there. Love you. But I love you too much to leave you that way. And I want you to make an adjustment. I want you to change. The world doesn't want you to. Satan doesn't want you to. Your flesh doesn't want you to. He'll talk you out of it. You'll find yourself having no reason to get up a little earlier tomorrow. No reason to take the things of God seriously. No reason to go to your knees and to pray over your family and your kids. No reason to minister or disciple to your neighbor. No reason to seriously seek God's presence. You'll just find it has no reason to do that. You think there's a lot of reasons to do that these days? We don't know what the... The political situation is so intense right now. I mean, it could... Spit out of control at any minute. And here we are, church. I applaud you. You're here at the 6 p.m. Good job. (laughs) Let's pray and ask the Lord to minister to us as we get into his word. Lord, in Jesus' name, may each one of us now as we're exposed to your word, may it be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. May it be fuel for our journey. May it be, Lord, a stern rebuke for our folly for our sin, our rebellion. May it be a guiding light, Lord, for our lostness. May it be a foundation, Lord, for what we're building. May it be a a clear word from the Holy Spirit that we might find life in our bones. Lord, we thank you so much. We pray for clarity. As we study a 2,000-year-old text that was given to John on the island of Patmos, when he was struggling to make sense of it all, he said, hey, let me show you. Let me show you what I'm going to do Let me show you my plan. And I pray now in Jesus' name as we study that same book, Lord, that we would be encouraged. We would be changed and challenged. We'd be comforted and healed. We ask you to do all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 11, verse one. I would say this. John has been listening to the revelation, writing it down, observing until now. In chapter 11, he's been watching, spectating, And in chapter 11, he now is asked to participate and to contribute, no longer just sitting down watching. And there is a time in your Christianity where you observe and you take in and you glean and you consider and you receive. And then the Lord says, go, take what you know, apply it to other people, serve, do what you've never done before. Read verse one with me. It says, then I was given a read. He's seeing this vision of this large angel. And a measuring rod was handed to me. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and don't measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Stop right there, Isaac. Here, we studied this in December. This is a future vision of the future temple. And John is asked to measure it, but not all of it, just the temple and the altar and the people of God. He's instructed, don't measure the outer courtyard, which I proposed to you two weeks ago that this is where the Dome of the Rock Mosque will sit in the third temple rebuild there in Jerusalem, practically and prophetically. But I want to apply this to us spiritually tonight because that will happen. One day, God will rebuild the temple and there will be the outer courtyards given over to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, to the Muslims. It'll be a political connection and agreement that the Antichrist strikes. Watch. Well, actually, we'll be watching from heaven. It's going to happen, though. But for us... I want to apply this in our lives. As John is instructed, rise up, measure the temple, count the people, get involved. And I would say for us in 2020 that God wants you to rise up, listen, into being active in the things of God, whatever that means for you. He'll tell you. Here at this church, we don't have a lot of opportunities for people to serve. There's not so many slots for people to do things. We don't have that many days that we're actually open for business. But did you know that it's not about this church here? It's about you being the church. It's about you being attentive and active and interested in the things of God at all times. Rising up, doing something different. You can't stay where you're at and expect any different results. Have you ever done this before? Have you ever done the exact same thing and hoped and prayed for different results? (laughs) That's a question, answer me. Have you ever done that before, man? We try that. We're like, I just wanna get rich. I wanna get smart. I wanna be nicer. I wanna get fit, but I ain't doing nothing different. It's like, what infomercial did you watch? Man, it doesn't work that way. No pain, no gain. And if you want to be more spiritual and more involved, you're going to have to do things differently. You're going to have to delete that account. Less Netflix, okay, and more God fix. You're going to have to have less Facebook and more time in the book. Less sleep time, more awake time with the Lord. It's just the way it is. And he tells John, rise up, first thing. And may the Lord show you what that means for you. For the things that matter most. And he tells them to measure the temple of God. That's where the people of God are and the the things of God. To measure something in those days and in ours means that you own it, you care about it. Okay? Pray for this church. Pray for the leaders here. Pray for the Christians of other churches. And pray for your friends and family that love the Lord. This is serious. The devil wants you to be so sleepy and so lackadaisical. And listen, so lazy. I'm going to let somebody else do that. There's professional pastors out there, man. There's people that do this for a living. There's famous pastors out there. There's book writers and authors and speakers. There's musicians, man. There's a bunch of people killing it out there for the Lord, right? It would be so easy just to, what if? And yet the Lord says, no, I, I, you, got breath, you got breath in you? I did that. Rise up. He wants us to take it seriously. He did say, though, in verse two, and I want you guys to apply this to your life, too. He says, leave out the court, which is outside. Don't measure it given to the gentiles and they're going to tread it that that is they're going to destroy it for 42 months i believe this is prophetically speaking of the last half of the three and a half year tribulation after the antichrist shows his true colors and the witnesses are killed it's going to get gnarly in jerusalem and god in his wisdom says you know what there is a portion of the measuring in your life don't include it don't try and fit it in don't raise your hands and don't make eye contact with anybody or move suddenly but let me ask you a question Have you ever tried to be a Christian, but also fit in the things of this world? Have you ever tried to do what the world says is cool and and participate and act like a worldly person and still be a Christian? I've tried this. There is no more, listen, there's no more miserable person in the world than a carnal Christian. Because you have enough of God that your carnality doesn't actually satisfy you. But you'll have enough carnality where God doesn't satisfy you. And you're the most miserable person. He says, no, no, there's things of the world. Leave it. Don't fit it in. Now there's obvious things in my life where I know it's worldly, that's not gonna come in, but there's those gray areas, isn't there? There are things in your life, but it's not bad. It's just kind of silly. It's kind of foolish. That's between you and the Lord. The Bible says all things are permissible for me. Paul said, for a Christian, you can do whatever you want because we're not under the law. Next verse, but not all things are profitable and I will not be brought under the bondage of anything. That's what Paul said. Don't worry about the law. We're not not under the law anymore. Do whatever you want. Count the cost though. Is it profitable? Are you bound by it? Get rid of that stuff. How am I gonna do that? We're gonna see here in just a minute. The power of the Holy Spirit is given to these two witnesses to live this lifestyle, to, to do it this way. And this is my exhortation for me every single day. Luke? Who are you going to live for? What are you going to be about? Rise. Own the things of God. Watch out for the things of the world. Don't try and fit them in also. Look at verse three. He says, and I will give power to my two witnesses. We met these guys a couple weeks ago and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Stop right, rise up here. During the tribulation period, not only will there be 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams preaching, but for the first three and a half years, there'll be two witnesses that rise up The lampstand of God, the olive trees of God, that is they're anointed with the Holy Spirit power. They're gonna be lights and illumination in this world. And they're gonna be given focus for 1,260 days. Now, just so you know, 1,260 days is 42 months, which is three and a half years. The Bible uses that term differently to describe, I believe, different purposes in three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. All the same time period, But I would make this application. These guys are the only ones that it's given to you in a day-by-day format. Not months or years and a half. And I propose to you it's because these witnesses, like these witnesses here, us y'all, are intended to be witnesses day in and day out. You ever try to take a day off from being a Christian? (laughs) Usually your parole officer calls you. Hey, what's going on? Saw you on Facebook, let's talk, you know. You know what I'm saying? Or the Holy Spirit calls you if you don't got a PO. You know, good for you. Keep it that way. This is, this is the 6 p.m. service. And, and you try to take a day off from being a Christian. There's no days off. Those days off are wasted days. These witnesses are here for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. The idea of sackcloth is focus, purpose. You're not going to get distracted. <laughs> Imagine wearing a sackcloth jacket. You're like, ah, what am I doing? Oh, I know what I'm doing. You know, you don't get too comfy. You figure it out. This is a hardcore message right here. Cause I love being comfy. I love just you know backing off, throttle down, put it in neutral, just coast, let go of the steering wheel, close my eyes, see what happens. You know what I'm saying? It's not. Can't be doing that though. We're on mission here. Something's going on. Especially in America, man. It's so easy to back off and just become a weirdo. The pressure is just so so easy just to do nothing. See in third world countries and in crazy countries, man. It's it's life or death. It's black or white. I had a missionary one time come to speak to my college group. He was, from in, in, he was ministering in India. He's a white guy. He's my friend. And he looked at this college group. And he said, I'm so concerned for you guys. You have it so difficult here. He had just received word an hour earlier that one of his colleagues was assassinated. And he was concerned for us. He, that's, that's the way it is over in India, in, in Nepal. It's either you're in or out. It's black or white. This, this is what we do. And yet his concern was for us, college kids in America, He said, because there is no black and white here. There's a gray area. You don't know if you're all in or all out. You don't know. You're deceived. We're over there, man, getting shot and killed. It's part of the deal. We know what we're doing here. Oh, no. That focus. The sackcloth. These guys are dialed in, man. 1,260 days. Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I need to underscore this because the things that God asks you to do in 2020, you can't do in and of yourself. Jesus said it this way in John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul said it this way in Philippians 4.13. Through Christ, I can do all things. Which one are you gonna choose? All things or nothing? It's your choice. Christ is the common denominator. Apply him. You can't stay clean. You can't be faithful. You can't move forward by yourself. But through Jesus Christ, you can do all things as he strengthens you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse five. And if anyone wants to harm these dudes, it doesn't say dudes, it says them, these dudes, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Stop right there, I thought this two weeks ago and I said many of these guys are real fire breathers, dragon breath, you know, and these guys are nuts. And let me ask this question. These guys are gonna get resisted in the tribulation period. And the Bible says anybody who fights them will be killed with fire out of their mouths. How many guys actually think it's literal, real fire from like a char, you know, a barbecue, something like that? Raise up your hand if you think it's real fire. Raise up your hand. Anybody? Put it up high. Don't, don't, be, don't, be, don't be afraid. You who don't raise your hand right now, that's because you're boring. <laughs> you read the Bible, you're like, that ain't gonna happen. There's no way that would happen. You know, and you're like, I can't, I just can't imagine it. You know, it's not gonna happen. Listen. Listen, I don't know if it's gonna be literal fire or not either. I don't know. I tend to, I don't know. I don't know. I'm fine if it is, okay? I'm fine if it is because we see these guys are calling down fire from heaven. They're stopping the waters. These guys are next level anointed. I would say this though. I got to thinking last night. There are multiple verses that talk about God's word in our hearts and in our mouths as fire. And Jeremiah says it in Jeremiah 5, Jeremiah 20, and Jeremiah 23. He says, your word is. He's like a fire in my bones and I can't contain it. The Bible says in Jeremiah 23 that the word of God will come out of his mouth and will consume people like wood. That's what it says. Here's my application. Here's my point. When we get attacked for our belief system, okay? You know what our defense is? We have a shield of faith and we have a sword of the spirit. And this is what we fight with. And this is what we offer. And this is what we defend ourselves with. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness in Matthew 5, he defended himself with the word of God. Okay, Matthew 4. He defended himself with the word, quoted it time in and time again. And if you want to have fire, that is strength coming in your life, it's going to come from knowing the word of God and having it as your foundation. Man, I have argued with so many people. I used to like to fight with people about the word of God. I would set up fights, man, tournaments and stuff. We'd go round for round, debate, and we'd film it and stuff. Not really, it wasn't that bad. But I don't like arguing and fighting with people anymore. I just just don't have the stomach for it, okay? But I will defend the faith, and I will stand, even if I stand alone. The Bible says it. Listen, I believe it. That settles it. And if somebody wants to go toe to toe and round for round, like, I don't got the time for that. God said it. I believe it. That settles it, okay? Case closed for me. And I'll tell you what. Because it's God's word, not yours, this is important. It's not your opinion, it's his opinion. It's not your news, it's his news. And when you stand on it and shrug your shoulders and say, I believe it, that settles it. You honor God and God will honor you and God will back his word and the naysayers and the haters and the attackers, God will deal with them and he will have his way with them. Listen, and he, like he did to you, will open up their eyes and soften their hearts. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Man, I like to sometimes load up my gospel gun and shoot as many people as I can, you know, you know, and the Lord's like, hey, calm down, cowboy. It's a message of love, but it's a message of truth. And if you're here tonight, you're like, I'm insecure. I, I, I believe I'm in Jesus and I'm a Christian, but I don't want anybody to know. I just feel like a, yeah, I'm just a little baby. I'm a, you know, weak. Listen, you're not. You're a witness empowered from God, okay? And you have the very fire of God coming out of your mouth. Stand on it. The people around you need you to be confident in the things of God. The world around us that doesn't know God are making up stories and narratives and fallacies and fairy tales, and they need you who know the truth to say, uh, actually, I love you, and I love you enough to tell you the truth. Don't be combative and arrogant and prideful. Peter did that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember he pulled out his sword? He said, like, oh, we'll kill them all. And Jesus said, Peter, Peter, put your sword away. That's not what we're doing, bro. Don't use the word to hurt people, but also don't be a baby. Don't be afraid. God's empowered you. Check this out. Verse six, these have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. Wow, big drought. And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all the plagues as often as they desire. These guys are in charge. What happens next though in verse seven? When they finish their testimony, it's a real polite way of saying that their ministry is over. It gets kind of gross here. It says the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into the graves. This in Middle Eastern cultures is a sign of disrespect. All this is going to happen in Jerusalem. Their dead bodies will be there in the same city that Christ was crucified and mutilated there's gonna be chaos and celebration. Ah, oh, these two witnesses are dead, finally. These two plagues, these two no goody two shoe guys that were raining on our parade, these buzzkills, these two Christians that always made us feel uncomfortable are finally gone, these two moralistic guys that were telling us the truth all the time. woo, they're gone. Stop right there, as up here though. God in his sovereignty, that is, he rules all things, declares futuristically, they will have a testimony that will finish i know what i'm doing with every life nobody takes their last breath too soon according to god according to our standards absolutely too soon i got questions i got some conflicts and here's the cool thing about when a life is surrendered to god when a life is surrendered to god did you know that when you're done your legacy will continue their testimony's not done. We're not, these guys aren't even alive yet, man. I don't know when this is gonna happen. These guys haven't been raised up and God's already talking about their life and death and resurrection because these guys are gonna come back from the, from the dead. In my notes here, I have written next to where it says, not there. When they finish their testimony, I have that underlined and circled. You know what I have written next to there? Josh Porter. Josh Porter. Josh Porter's, anniversary of his one-year death was a couple days ago. And I got together with Denise. And, and as I got together and had lunch with her, I, I kind of expected her to, to be a mess. You know? I was like, oh man, this is the one-year anniversary. And, and I'm pretty sure I, I cried a little more than you did. And, 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 and the next day we got together and, and did a little ceremony at Nye Beach. And, and I was profoundly impacted. And here's what I was impacted by. By the legacy of Josh Porter. Josh Porter's a great man. You guys know this, right? Okay. He was radically rescued from active addiction His life was completely changed, and then he lived the rest of his life for the glory of God and the good of others, okay? Simply put, he wanted to help as many people as he could. He he had standards, and he had a backbone, and he had purpose, okay? And as I had lunch with Denise, and as I've walked with her for the last year and heard her talk and make decisions and do things, not more than 100 times or so, Denise has said, well, Josh would want this, and Josh would want me to do that. If Josh saw that, he would react this way. You know those bracelets that say, WWJD, what would Jesus do? it could be used for what would Josh do as well from time to time? You know, what would Josh do? And I looked at Denise and I said, you know what's so cool? The legacy that Josh is gone. Okay. And I wish I could go back in time and change. I can't, we can't, but his legacy and his investment continues on. And he has made Denise the woman that she is today. She's a completely different person. And so many others have been touched by Josh Porter. And he's one example of a life changed purpose. As a Matter of fact, This month, we're doing a fundraiser, not a fundraiser, a clothing drive, a supply drive. Denise wanted to honor Josh. And Josh, if you knew him, he would see people in need. And if he could fix it, if he could solve your need, he would do it, even if it left him shirtless. And so what we're doing this month is we're collecting items for the Project Homeless Connect. And we're going to clothe as many people as we can, a clothing and supply drive in honor of Josh Porter. You can find it on Facebook. You can bring your items here. We're going to make more announcements about that. Should be in the paper this week. Why? because his testimony continues on. And I'm proud of you, Denise. I'm proud of you for being here and proud of what, who God has made you to be. And I'm thankful. And we who are here today have an opportunity to even say, Lord, let that be true of me. Let that be true of me that when my testimony is finished and I go to heaven, that the work that I started will continue on down on earth. Now we see this sickness. These guys are parading around his body and all the rest. Look at verse 10. I want you guys to freak out with me just a little bit here. It says, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, these two dead witnesses, make merry and send gifts to one another. It's Christmas 2.0. These guys are going nuts. Because these two prophets who tormented those who dwell on the earth are dead. Stop right there, their eyes up here. I just need to peel back the veil for a minute and tell you guys who are trying to have a duplicitous lifestyle with the ways of the world, this is how the world looks at Christ and Christianity. A pesky plague that torments everybody (laughs) now i do this for a living that's like my vocational call to be a pesky plague that torments people for a living like and i don't like that i like to be liked i like to have friends i like to be popular i like people to love me and yet right on the other side of that when you go too far it's called the fear of man the bible says the fear of man what other people think of you is a snare it's a trap If you live for the accolades of other people and the attaboys and attagals and people's opinion, I need to let you know, of the world, you will find yourself trapped and ensnared. But the Bible goes on to say that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Anybody need wisdom? It comes from living for an audience of one. When you decide to be a wife or a husband or single or young or old or a man or a woman or an employer or an employee for the audience of one, I guarantee you, not only will you be pleasing to God, you will be profitable to man, but we see here also, you will be considered by some a pesky plague because of your views, your conservative morals, the things that you adhere to in the scriptures. Have you swallowed this pill yet? Have you figured this out? Man, this is just one of those unfortunate realities that if you're, oh, you're a Christian, oh, so you hate people what i don't know all you're a christian so you're a bigot oh what and all you're a christian so you judge everyone what and and people will say this about you and these guys are killed and the rest of the world oh finally these pesky witnesses are gone you know what these witnesses did the whole time they just walked around with the truth it's just the truth and when the truth is just shown simply it's like a bright light in your eyes And for those who don't want the light, they reject it because they'd rather stay in their darkness. John chapter three, John chapter one, John, somewhere in the front, (laughs) read it. And yet for those who are being saved, when that light comes on, you ever seen this before? You're in the dark and you see a light. Oh, oh dude, oh, was lost. That light, I'm so thankful. Turn the light brighter, but there are people that hate the light. They don't want it. In the Old Testament, Ahaz, Ahab was a king. He had a wife named Jezebel. She was horrible. And, and so God judged them through Elijah. And it stopped raining. There was a drought three and a half years. And they got super mad at Elijah for the drought. When in reality, the drought came because of their activity and their behavior. They had done stupid stuff and got stupid results. Listen, it's crazy. And they got mad at God and Elijah, the man of God, for the things, way things were going. Here's the deal. When it gets hot or when it gets dry or when it gets tense for you, the wiser thing to do is say, maybe I'm... Need to adjust. Maybe I'm doing stupid stuff. <laughs> Maybe I did this to myself. You who are Christians, you guys get this? This is normalcy. This is what we do. This is called Christianity and repentance and growing. And I feel convicted and I feel wrong and I feel something's wrong. The rest of the world, though, they don't get it. And when you just tell them logically, this doesn't add up, this doesn't work, this kind of relationship, this kind of ideology, get ready. You're going to be labeled. There are people who go to abortion clinics with posters of aborted babies and they just stand on the outside. They just show people, hey, this is what happens, just in case you don't know, because you don't know. And, and the, those people with the posters are labeled fanatics and lunatics and terrorists and crazy people. And all they're doing is just, no, I'm just, I'm just showing you what, what's happening. It, here's what's crazy, and here's what's lunacy, and here's what's terrorism. That is happening. In our culture today, these guys are gonna die, and the culture's gonna be like, yeah, finally, those guys that made us uncomfortable. Those guys that plagued us, those pesky know-it-alls wearing that sackcloth thinking they're so cool. Bunch of Jesus' real sackcloth hoodies, you know? (laughs) We should get some of those. Anyways, here's the simple truth. I don't want anybody to become a a, a hater. I, I know the truth. You don't become better than others. Don't do that, okay? But brace yourself when you're not liked, when you're not welcomed, when people cheer when you leave, when you're not invited to the parties. When people look at you, ah, you changed, man. You just you make me feel weird. You show up and I just feel weird it's the Holy Spirit inside of you. Embrace it. In love. I'm telling you this right now because your flesh doesn't want that. If you want to be liked, you want to be invited to the parties, you want to be popular, you want to be in control, you want to be all those things, don't be a Christian. Don't ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Don't read the Bible, don't try and make a difference. Don't do any of that. (laughs) Don't do any of that stuff. I had a friend this morning, Debbie Pryor. She's like, hey, Luke, I noticed on your Facebook that you have uh, almost 5,000 friends. You only need three more friends and you'll get 5,000. You just got to accept three friend requests. And I I told Debbie, I said, I get 5,000 friends every single week and I lose about three or four friends every single week for the last year now. She said, where do your friends go? I said, I'm not quite sure. They either die or unfriend me. I don't know what happens. Because say, why would they do that? I say, because I'm all about Jesus, and so, something makes them mad. They can't, ah, this guy, man, he won't stop talking about Jesus, you know. Other weird things I talk about on Facebook, too, but whatever the case is. Whenever I, I'm glad they don't show you who unfriends you, because I'm kind of a weirdo. Like, I would totally try and have a conversation with that person. Like, what made you uncomfortable? Let's talk, you know. And, <laughs> let, me, let me say it again to your face, And you know. Stuff I don't want to do, stuff I don't want to do. I got to hustle here. I got to hustle here. Check this out. It says, now after three and a half days, verse 11, this is crazy, the breath of life from God entered them. What? And they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they, that is the witnesses, the people down on earth, I don't know, they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. Wow. Wow. And in the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. What? And the second woe was passed. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Let me just make sure you hear this. If you're gonna choose to witness for God, you will get cast down. You will be considered a plague. But you know what else you'll get? You'll get the very life of God given to you. Read it with me again in verse 11. After three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. Dude, I'm just telling you right now, there's nothing else you want in this life more than that. The life of God, the breath of God, it'll revive your soul right now. I'm not dead yet, okay? But there's areas in my life that I need revival. You know how it comes? Being a witness. Being a witness for the things of God. Washing other people's feet, serving. And the Lord, he sees you and he will uphold you. I have written in my notes here, Randy Ripka. I got a chance to offload a crab boat a couple days ago. I don't know why I did it, but I did it. And I got to the boat, and I didn't know what I was doing. And Randy Ripka had caught all these crabs along with the other crew. And, and, and I got to talking with him. I was like, what are you doing here? I thought you were in Pendleton at recovery. And he's like, no, I'm done with recovery. He was an active uh, addiction. And, and I'm done with recovery, and I work at Powerhouse there. And it's so cool, man. I live over there, and, and my life is completely changed. And all day long, I get to tell everybody about God and his love. And I'm on this boat. Now he's just crabbing. And I was like, that's It's a miracle. I baptized him last Easter, man. I know the battle here, and he's just on fire. That's what he gets to do for a living in addition to catching crab. And can I just encourage you? If you're looking for new life, new breath, new strength, tell some people about God. Start in your family. Ask God to use you as a witness. Did you know a witness doesn't always have to use their mouth either? Some of you guys are introverts. You're like, I don't want to ever talk to anybody. You know? Your life is on display. People are watching you. Oh, you're still married? How'd you pull that off? Grace of God. Oh, you just got a divorce and pulled yourself back up and, and, and kept moving with grace and forgiveness? How'd you do that? Grace of God. Oh, wow, you got cancer and you're, you're going through your chemotherapy sessions and you're trusting the Lord. How are you doing that? Grace of God. Oh, wow, you're, you, you got kids, you're raising them. Oh, wow, you, you went bankrupt and you came back. Or did you, you don't have to be a witness for God in all of your successes. If that were the case, man, we wouldn't have much to witness about. As a matter of fact, it's in our failures when we fall forward, when we're forgiven, when our feet are washed by Jesus. You're a witness for the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I wish I could just wake up every day and say, watch this world, you know, and flex and just do great stuff for God. It's not that way. Instead, I'm a wretch and God's grace is evidenced in my life. So so too with you. These guys are witnesses. You can be a witness. Check this out. Final thoughts, verses 15 through 19. It says, then the seventh angel sounded. We've been waiting for the seventh angel since chapter 8 seven trumpet judgments. The first six trumpet judgments were curses and plagues. The earth was cursed. The sky was cursed. The water was cursed. The abyss was opened up and locusts came out and plagued everyone for five months. These are what the trumpet judgments brought. And now the final seventh trumpet judgment. And if you didn't know any better and you were reading ahead, you might just guess, what's the seventh trumpet judgment? Like demon monster trucks? You know, crazy stuff. That's where my mind goes. Listen, it's completely different. The seventh angel sounded. And there were loud voices in heaven declaring, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. This is what they say. We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you've taken your great power and reigned. Stop right there, eyes appear. Simply put, and I want you to take this to heart, consider it as you go to bed. The seventh trumpet judgment on planet earth as God is shaking up the nations, waking up the heathen, making up the church, taking up a king, he's doing all this. God has a plan. He's not just unmindfully angry and wrathful. He's purposeful. And what's he do here? Seventh trumpet judgment, he declares, hey guys, I win. The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of the Lord. I win don't lose focus. John, are you losing focus? Are you overwhelmed? Are you getting plagued? Are you getting bugged yourself? Is there a battle right here? The answer is yes. And Jesus says, just so you know, we win. We will not lose. And the elders in heaven say, thank you, Jesus, the one who was and is and is to come, who have taken your power and now have reigned. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wrestled with the fact that God is all-powerful? And yet he hasn't taken that power and fixed everything yet. Have you ever ever freaked out about this? You've had non-Christians ask you this question. Oh, you believe in a big God, a good God? Then why do 29,000 children die of starvation daily? Why is there calamity and chaos and disease? Why is there food shortages and water crises? Why is there wars and abuse and jail cells? If God is so good, why do these things exist? Now, you who've studied this out, you know the answer. It's It's not God's fault. God didn't do any of those things. God gave enough clean water for the entire world. God gave enough food today for every single person to eat until they puke out their nose. There's enough food for everybody. Okay, God gave us minds to make decisions. It's not God's fault. You know what the problem is? The kingdoms of this world. We have a king problem. And it'll never be solved without the king of kings. Even in America, okay, there's no political solution that will actually get us peace on earth. It's not gonna happen. You, You know this, right? We don't need a political solution. We need Jesus Christ. And these elders cry out in the seventh trumpet, you're going to use your power to reign. Thank you. And they worship. You guys can take this to heart tonight. God is going to use his power and he will reign supremely. And when he reigns supremely, it goes on. Look at verse 18. Not only will he reign supremely, verse 18 says, the nations were angry. Your wrath has come. In the time of the dead, that they should be judged. Stop right here. Eyes up. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Not only will he reign supremely, but he will judge righteously. This is going to set you free to love people even more. God's going to hold everyone accountable. You know that, right? It's not your job. <laughs> We're tempted sometimes to judge people and like look at them and say, oh, I think this and that. It's like, look, you don't have enough, okay, information. You don't know the backstory. You don't know God's plan, You don't have enough, your pay grade's not high enough to judge people. So God's asked you and I love people unconditionally. And he will, listen, judge them in the end by grace and mercy. He's going to judge the good, the bad, and the ugly. You don't have to worry about it. So if you have bitterness tonight or unforgiveness or resentment or fear, okay, let all that go. Forgive, forget, bless, and serve other people knowing that God is going to judge righteously. I would say it Interesting to me, verse 18, these elders are singing in heaven. The nations were angry, (laughs) and now your wrath has come. Isn't it nuts how people get mad at God? Just think about it. Okay, from the very beginning, people have been shaking their fist at God. Like, you're mad at God. God created everything and gave it away freely. He's like, I made all this stuff, and I'm going to give it away, and have a huge party. Here's all my stuff. And everyone's like, mad at God. It's chaotic. It's rebellion and sin. We see it, though, in all of our relationships, you see it with employees. You hire an employee, you wanna pay their bills and you wanna help them make a living and then they get mad at the employer and like, I'm doing my best to serve you and you have coaches and athletes and athletes yelling at coaches and you got citizens yelling at governments and you got kids yelling at their parents. Have your kids ever acted a fool towards you, parents? Have you seen this before? As parents, man, you brought these kids into the world, you birthed them, you paid the bills, you cut the umbilical cord, you wiped the butt, you did everything. And these kids are out shaking their fist at you, and you're like, No way. Judgment's coming, you know. Isn't it wild? It's nuts. People who are mad at God, anybody who's mad at God at all, you, you too, if you're mad at God, it's like, dude, time out. Just sit down. Job and God had some conversations, and Job, he kept it cool, pretty much. He kept it cool. He went through some stuff, and they were conversing, and, and God just kind of said, hey, let me just ask you a couple questions, Job, since you're having a, a, a talk here. Where were you when I created everything? Were you on the committee? Where were you when we put all the snow in the warehouses of heaven? Were you, did you, were you there? I can't remember you being there. <laughs> you know, logical questions. Like, oh yeah, my bad, my bad. And Job had a conclusion in his book. He lost it. Job went through a, a story. And Job reasoned in his conversations with God. He said, even if the Lord slays me, still I would trust him. I would trust him. No matter what. That's divine worship. That's ultimate worship. Do, do you have that? You need it. The world needs to see it in you. The world needs to see your resolve. I trust the Lord no matter what. Yeah, but you just lost your job. I know. God's still good. Yeah, but you just lost your your marriage. You just lost your health. You just lost all your finances. You just lost all. What's going on? God's good. I know. This sucks. This isn't okay. But God is good. I've read the end of the book. I know what's going on. The rest of the world doesn't know anything. They're freaking out. Read the news. Ah, You know. He goes on to say, and that you should reward, verse 18 in the middle, your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy their... Stop right there, guys, up here. There's a promise given to the future that those who live for Jesus now will be rewarded then. You guys remember this, right? We studied this with the crown rewards that are given to those who love Jesus and are called to serve him. Don't forget this. There is a judgment waiting for Christians... That is not the judgment for your sins. Christ bore your sins. He suffered for your rebellion and foolishness. He paid for it. It's the worst thing ever, and he endured it. Don't diminish what he did for you. That's been taken care of. But the Bible declares God wants to reward you for your life lived. This is not a joke. Second Corinthians five ten. The Bible says there will be a bema seat where you, as a believer, will sit in front of God in everything you've ever done after your salvation we'll go through fire. And everything that was foolish and dumb and not right, burned away, no big deal. Bonfire, some of you are gonna have a bigger bonfire than others. It's still burning. (laughs) The fire department's coming, hurry up, Jesus, you know. And the Bible says that the things that remain, the the precious stones and the silver and the gold and the things that you did in your life, the things you did right, they'll remain forever. Not only will he reign supremely, he will judge righteously, listen, Jesus, he will reward generously. Those times you spend on your knees praying, fasting, wearing sackcloth, staying focused, serving, giving, praying, reading, meditating, musing, abstaining, denying, walking, committing, all of that is gonna be worth it in heaven. This chapter started at the temple with John measuring it down on earth, caring for the people of God. And then the witnesses were seen doing their tasks They were given power and John's active. The witnesses are witnessing. And all of that culminates into the last verse. Final verse, it ends at the temple in heaven. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings and there were were thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Stop right there, eyes up here. At the end of this chapter, we see heaven opened up. The ark of God opened up. The temple of God opened up. All pictures of God's presence, which is what we're looking for we want to be in his presence how did this happen because the witnesses witnessed because John rose up and he measured he did something different because we le- lived our lives on purpose and now we see the things of God opening up to us let me just end with this thought i'm going to have pastor Ryan come up he's going to lead us in a song we're going to take communion now these declarations haven't yet happened did you guys realize that right this is future and yet the seventh trumpet judgment is a declaration. I win. It's going to happen. It's over. Woo! We're right in the middle of tribulation. And John could have, if you would, read that and said, oh, that's the end of the chapter then, right? He's like, no, there's a bunch more coming, bro. But, 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 but we win. Wait till we get to chapter 12 and the rest of the, the seal judgments and the, or the, uh, the vile judgments. There's more stuff to come. And in your life, you're living in what we call the already, not yet. Okay? It's already been declared. You're saved. The Bible says you are glorified in sitting with him in heavenly places. Already. Okay? How many of you guys feel super glorified? How many of you guys feel super heavenly? Okay? No, I'm looking at you. You ain't. You ain't. Y'all y'all mess right now, okay? A mess. <laughs> But the Bible says it's a done deal. We call this a proleptic verse, P-R-O-L-E-P-T-I-C. That is, it's prophetic. That is, it's so strong in its declaration of what's going to happen is as if it's already happened because in God's economy, it's already happened. And yet it hasn't happened here. And we want to be proleptic Christians. Listen, please. We want to be those who go through our situations now and know the end and apply it to our current. There's two Christians, two types. One is proleptic, and the other is dyslexic. And if you're dyslexic, that means you see what's happening, but you can't compute it. It doesn't make uh, it doesn't make sense. Marriage is failing. Your health is failing. Your kids are rebelling. Your economy is collapsing. It's, it's tension, uh, and you don't know what to do. It doesn't make sense to you because you don't know how to look to the future and say, "Lord, I trust you. I'm just going to keep working because you promise that the seventh trumpet means victory." And that changes everything, even in the midst of your stuff. And when you have that vision, that future, that hold on what's going to happen, you then act differently in the trial that you're dealing with right now. Guess what? You just got done sitting through an hour sermon. Good job. Your, your, your problems haven't changed. They're still there. You've got demons after you. you got conflict. It's all still there. But what you have differently is hope and faith and love to apply to your situation. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to do all things. You can do this now. I wish I could just give you a magic stick to change your situation. I can't do that. But I can give you hope and purpose and faith and love to keep clawing away at the things God wants you to do. Like I said earlier this week, I had a chance to offload a, a crab boat. You can put that first picture up there I'm laying on the crabs. And I, this, is the, this, is the, this is right before we started. Randy Ripka let me borrow his rain gear. And that's 32,000 pounds of crab on the Western Breeze. And I got a chance, I saw an ad on Facebook or something, I needed somebody to help, and I thought, that sounds ridiculous, I'll do that, you know. And notice I'm smiling, a big old smile on my face. And I'd never done this before. Like, I've eaten crab before with butter and salt, totally different experience than this. And, and we began to offload, me and, me, and, me and three other guys, man, and it was, it, was, it was crazy, it was hard work. And we began to offload, and while we were offloading, man, we were getting pinched. I got pinched 50, 60 times, they were going through my boots and hanging off my clothes. Guys were bleeding. Crabs were jumping out of these pots and dive bombing people. Man, it was nuts. It was crazy. I'd never sweat that much in my life. About 20,000 pounds into it. This is the next picture. It's 20,000 pounds. I'm in the hole now. Okay. And all those crabs became demons in there, man. Look at them. They're all alive. They're mad. They're pinching you. It was crazy. And here's my point. is, is I, We couldn't stop. We were in this. We were doing this. We've got to offload this boat as fast as we can. They told us you get paid by the pound. Okay, not the hour, so we don't there's no reason to stay there long, So we're working hard. And while I was working, I had a lot of thoughts going through my mind, okay? Just looking at these crabs. Who are these guys in this boat with me? What am I doing here? Its midnight I should be home sleeping. Is this a bad idea? All these thoughts. A couple thoughts that went through my mind though. about a week earlier I bought tickets to a blazer game on Monday the 20th. I'm taking my family and my sister and I spent a couple hundred bucks put it on the credit cards. blazer game. super excited about it. And I took this opportunity just to kind of pay for that Blazer game. And so while I was loading these crabs, you know what I thought about most of the time? That Blazer game. I love Blazer games. They're so fun. Okay? And guess what? I got the tickets. It's on the calendar. I've not yet been to that Blazer game, but it's a done deal. I'm going to the Blazer game. And then I was sweating and smiling, having so much fun, knowing it's, it's worth it, man. i fun doing this. And it wasn't just the Blazer game. While I was wrestling with those crabs and they were pinching me and biting me, I started thinking about all you guys. <laughs> True story. I started thinking about my friends in, in the church and spiritual warfare. And I started wrestling these dang crabs, man. They were getting you good and man. And I started thinking about the lives that I love so much here in the spiritual warfare. I'm fighting for a, a number of different marriages right now. Just fighting. Or don't let it fall apart. No. Fighting for it. And fighting for people's health and for people's salvation and and as I was pulling these crabs into these cans and dumping and just nonstop working, man, I just I was excited about the, the battle we're in. It's a battle. I'm going to heaven when I die. The prayers of the saints work. The things that God has called you to be active in right now, do it. You might be clawed and you might be bit and You might be nasty and you might need a shower or two like I did afterwards, but it's going to be worth it in the end. It was so rad. We loaded up 32,000 pounds and me and these three other guys, we just started, looked at each other, just, we did it did it. I'm not saying we set a record for time, but we set a record for time. It was one of the fastest offloads in, in the port that they've ever seen. It was crazy. just worked hard. Because we had a, an intention and a hope. You can take the pictures down. We're going to take communion. And I just want to encourage you guys, man, don't give up ground. Don't settle down. Don't stop. You're fatigued. You're bit. You're sweating. You're, you're all messed up. I understand all that. So is everybody. This world is messed up. What are you gonna do i'm gonna believe in the lord i'm gonna keep going until my testimony is finished close your eyes and let's pray lord in jesus name as we come to the table now we ask for that holy spirit anointing that these witnesses had to be men and women to be the body of christ and if you're here before we take communion if you need a holy spirit anointing you're not happy where you're at you're stoked that you're not where you used to be man you got to go next level You gotta care for your spouse better than you're caring for your spouse. You gotta pour into your kids better than you're pouring into your kids. You gotta love the unbelievers more than you love the unbelievers. You gotta serve the church better than you're serving. You gotta do some changes in your life. You need to forgive. You need to love. You need more Holy Spirit. If that's you right now, would you just put up your hand and say, Yep, that's me. I need it, Jesus. Put your hand up and he will pour himself into you. He's the lampstand and the olive tree. Put your hand up. I need it's 2020. This is the time to shine. You sat through a sermon on the 6 p.m. service. Don't waste it. Raise up your hand right now and say, yep, yep. Lord, would you anoint the hands that are up in Jesus' name? We need you. We need you, Lord, so we don't get slow, so we don't get lazy, so we don't try and fit in the ways of the world. But instead, we get involved in the things of God. You can put your hands down. Lord, as we come to the table, would you be honored? We examine ourselves and repent of our sins. Proclaim your death until you return. Your body broken, your blood spilled. It is enough. And we can start over right now. So Lord, be honored in what we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.